We pray, amen. Calvin, please. Oh, he's behind me. The prayer of the day. Son of God, you walked on the waters of turmoil to meet us in the midst of your proposed journey for our lives. Help us to recognize your presence in remembering your promise. Rely on your power and receive your peace through every storm. Amen. God offers to us through prophets and apostles words of life which faith become the living word. Let us listen to the word. Our reading this morning is from the Good News according to Matthew, chapter 14, beginning at verse 22 to verse 36. Immediately he made disciples get into the boat and go ahead of the other side, while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. By the time the boat, battered by the waves, was far from the land, For the wind was against them, and early in the morning he became walking towards them on the lake. But when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified, saying, It's a ghost! And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Peter answered him, Lord, it is you, command me to come on you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat, started walking on water, and came towards Jesus. But when he rose the strong winds, he became frightened, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me! Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him, saying to him, You of little faith, why did you not doubt? When you got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. When they had crossed over, they came to the land of Genesaret. After the people that are placed recognized him, they sent word throughout the region and brought all those who were sick to him and begged him that they might touch even the fringe of his cloak. And all who touched it were healed. Hear what the church is saying to the church. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church, sorry. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, your word speaks to us and touches our hearts. Open our hearts now that we may see deeper visions and look over the horizon of our faith and life. Bless us in the listening and the preaching of this word. In Jesus' name. Amen. Staying afloat. I'm standing with others on a dock jutting out into the Sea of Galilee, near the kibbutz known as Ein Gen. At night you can see the twinkling lights of towns on the other side. The lake is shaped like a harp and is about 21 kilometers wide and 21 kilometers long and 13 kilometers wide. Storms can sweep in quickly, making it very dangerous. On that calm day, I sail with others, and I'm aware again of the rich stories associated with Jesus, 
particularly his ministry on or near this historic lake. It is one of those teachable moments. My childhood faith was framed and shaped by a kind of naive literalism about stories like Jesus walking on the water. Painter Rembrandt created an evocative scene of a stormy Galilee with waves crashing into the boat, the disciples struggling in sheer terror, and Jesus coming over the waves. And I remember that painting was hung in one of our Sunday school rooms in a long-ago church. Early in my life, Jesus thus came from, became for me something akin to a superhero who could perform wondrous deeds, a spiritual Spider-Man. I can remember as a precocious child, about eight or nine, walking toward the waves of Lake Ontario and shouting, Peace! Be still! And really believing that maybe this would turn the waves away. But the waves just kept on coming, and the wind did not stop blowing. As a minister, I waded into the waters of a baptismal tank and baptized folk from my congregation, again marveling at them going under and up and out of the water, fresh and clean, blessed and made new. As I have matured, I have come to appreciate the symbolic power of the biblical stories. The boat and the disciples on the storm-tossed sea were, for Matthew, perhaps symbolic of the tormented church wrestling with conflict within and conflict without. And the church sometimes knows something about conflict. Because, to be sure, the church has frequently had a conflicted existence. Church history is not always a story of smooth sailing on calm seas. But metaphors, nevertheless, can enrich our life and our faith. The texts that precede today's passage from Matthew, from the Psalms, tell us that it has been a busy and exhausting and demanding day for Jesus and the disciples. They have learned the traumatizing news that their dear friend, John the Baptist, has been killed, beheaded. They have just witnessing, witnessed the puzzling feeding of more than 5,000 people with just a few fish and some loaves. And so it's a time for them to rest and an opportunity for space, for processing all that has happened to them in a short period of time. Jesus sends the disciples across the water in a boat while he seeks some solitude and opportunity to pray. Time passes. The weather changes. The wind blows the boat. The disciples drift far offshore. Night begins to fall. And as we move into the passage, we are invited into the liminal spaces of night and day, sand and shore, wind and calm. We enter an in-between space where the human and the holy meet in some mysterious unknown way to stretch and to encounter one another. Morning dawns and Jesus decides to join the disciples in their boat. The text from Matthew tells us that he takes a shortcut across the top of the water. Much could be made of this move on Jesus' part. Perhaps it is a truly significant revelation of power for him to do this. Up until now, his use of holy gifts has been primarily in the service of healing. So perhaps now he believes that the disciples are ready to experience him in a dramatic way. It is curious that no one is calling him to come, and no one needs his help in the water as he walks out to meet them. Why does he appear to defy the laws of nature and walk in this way? What does he want the disciples to learn from this encounter? What does all of this mean? 
Halfway between sleep and waking, the disciples are startled to see a figure apparently walking on the water. Although it is their friend Jesus with whom they have traveled and have been taught intimately for months, they cannot make sense of what they are seeing. What prevents them from recognizing Jesus for who he is? What is it that keeps any of us from seeing God's presence among us? We are told that Jesus seeks and is present with us, even to the end of the age. But somehow our anxiety, our confusion, and failure to acknowledge mystery have us missing moments of grace that surround us in every day, in every walk that we have. We expect to meet God in church, or perhaps in a soup kitchen, but do we imagine God's presence could meet us in a coffee shop, a ferry boat, or an airport? Could God reach out and surprise us at these places? Perhaps because ours is a God who comes at the unexpected hour in unusual burning bush kinds of ways, we need to be more open and alert to God's presence. Could it be that God is showing up and we just don't notice? Always patient and compassionate, Jesus bears their cries of fear and alarm. Jesus' arrival is so far from the commonplace and what they expect to see that they immediately fall into a superstitious thinking and cry out that a ghost is coming toward them. They are truly terrified. But Jesus speaks to comfort and to reassure them. Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. It seems to be a central aspect of the human experience that our fears and superstitions blind us to the arrival of the holy. In the same way, it seems to be a central and blessed aspect of the character of God that God stands ready with a word of comfort and calm to soothe us. Take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. Powerful, life-changing words, words that unlock something inside Peter's heart. The hot coals of faith are glowing inside him, and he needs just one more good gust of the winds of the Spirit to carry him into action. Peter, like most of us, needs just a bit more reassurance that he is encountering the holy and not playing tricks in his own mind. He speaks out in faith. Jesus, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Perhaps in this this wonderful exchange in Matthew's gospel, we hear an echo of Samuel when he calls out in the night, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. For both are articulations of faith needing reassurance, and both are all that God needs to be able to call us to meaningful acts of grace and the acknowledgement of mystery. Jesus responds with one simple word, come. Then Peter takes his walk of faith. Indeed, that is all Peter needs in order to get out of the boat so that he can greet Jesus. Just for a moment, just for a tight rope of a second, Faith is stronger than doubt. Peter keeps his eyes on Jesus, and everything seems possible in that moment. Then the world and wind and memory and fear crash in, and Peter begins to sink, and Peter calls out to Jesus and says, Save me! As people on a journey, we know that this is the moment when we feel as if we finally got in literally over our heads, or have bitten off more ministry than we can chew. Jesus Save me, how will I ever chair that committee? Jesus, save me, how will we sing in the choir? I've never done that before. Jesus, save me, 
I've been asked to leave a Bible study, but I know so little of the Bible. Jesus, save me, help me, rescue me. Jesus is so close that he simply reaches out his hand to steady Peter. And in the words that Jesus offers Peter, we hear both friendly, jesting, and radical possibility, which is what friends are all about. You of little faith, why did you doubt? If we ignore the gusting wind and the swelling waves that surround us and focus on Jesus as a complete and self-emptying love, we can live into a confidence in the moment. Passage concludes with Jesus and Peter both back in the boat and the other disciples gobsmacked about what they have witnessed. For here in this in-between space, the human and the holy are entwined in mystery. And the disciples are changed by the encounter. Advocates for nurturing spiritual practice are quick to point out how often the Gospels report Jesus withdrawing from the demands of daily work to pray. What they do not acknowledge, however, is that these times often correspond to the disciples getting themselves into severe problems and trouble. Upon hearing of John's death, Jesus withdraws only to have the crowds grow into the thousands. The ill-equipped disciples find themselves overwhelmed with sick and hungry people. And in a moment of grace and mystery, Jesus reappears, and somehow the sick are healed and the hungry are fed. Later, Jesus sends his key leaders into that boat on the Sea of Galilee, dismisses the crowds, and retreats into the hills for solitary prayer. Then another crisis erupts, proving again that without Jesus, the disciples are a fearful and adequate bunch. They become an image of the contemporary church and all that is sometimes feckless and confused. In another place and time, I am planning a memorial service with a family who I don't know very well at all, who indicate the desire not to have scripture read at the memorial service. A poem about a ship that is no longer seen but sailing out there somewhere was chosen by the family as a substitute along with something else found on the internet. The widow, sensing my discomfort, wonders if perhaps I am concerned about breaking church rules or ecclesiastical order, so I tell them quietly that without the love of God, the church does not have a lot to offer people. Without compassion and the self-emptying and radical love of Jesus, the church doesn't really have anything to offer. Peter finds that same thing in a more personal and critical way. Alone, walking on the sea, he becomes frightened by the wind. Critics of Peter have long pointed out his lack of faith, which leads to his descent into the sea. But there is an earlier point of criticism. This walking on the water business is entirely Peter's idea. Jesus, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. It is, from where we sit, a foolish idea you do not step out of a boat in the middle of the storm. You batten down the hatches. You put on your survival suit. You hunker down in the belly of the boat and hope that the waves do not get any bigger and the winds do not get any stronger. This is what most followers of Jesus do in difficult times. Perhaps it's what the church hopes to do as waves of secularism, postmodern uncertainty, declining membership, and new and thoughtful theological insights beat against the aging hull of the ship of faith. Everything, including quantum physics, redaction criticism, and archaeological insights, challenge traditional understandings and compel us to look at our faith differently and to experience God in new ways. J. 
John Spong, a contemporary biblical scholar, suggests that the disciples were so enamored by the God-intoxicated, justice-passionate qualities of Jesus that they just yearned to be in his presence and would do everything they could to get to the front of the line to be beside him. They wanted more from Jesus. And being observant Jews, they would have recognized in Jesus walking on the water a Moses Red Sea story magnified and repeated. They would have seen Moses and connected him with Jesus and Nazareth. And so would we, except that we are often a people distracted by the challenging dynamics of the world in which we live. We experience a world that has hope beaten out of it by economies that cannot recover, devastating violence and terrorism that show no sign of abatement, starvation that will not disappear, fear of the stranger, the other, frightening taunts from the most powerful leader in the world, and poverty that haunts. Sometimes the safest way to avoid getting hurt seems to be simply to stay in the boat. There is no shame in staying in the boat. 92% of the disciples do exactly that in today's story. Indeed, all Peter seems to receive for his efforts is a rebuke from Jesus. You of little faith, why did you doubt? However, Jesus seems more disappointed than angry with with Peter. Jesus is disappointed in Peter because God knows Peter has what it takes to step out of that boat and to stay afloat. God knows Peter's history. God knows Peter better than Peter knows himself. Of all people, people can walk out on that water with courage. Peter can stand in the middle of the raging sea and walk with Jesus. The church is built in part on Peter. But the church should remember this before we huddle down on the boat and pray for safer seas. Peter's church should be willing to take such risks and step out of the boat and risk preaching news that might disrupt the way we have always done things in the community, in our political life, or even in our faith communities. The church should be willing to risk its well-being to try something foolish, borderline crazy, in the midst of raging storms. We should be willing to step out of the boat driven by an impulsive desire to get closer to Jesus, even when he's a long way from solid ground. What such borderline crazy look like to you? Might it involve getting to know the homeless, the members of the LGBTQ community, First Nations people, the intellectually disabled, and the difficult, trying, challenging folk in our daily walk who drive us crazy some days? who make our lives sometimes very stressful. Peter does not fail because he steps out of the boat. He starts to sink because he notices the wind, the strong wind, and becomes frightened. Peter's fear gets in the way of his faith. For every disciple who takes her or his call seriously, there is a lot of which to be afraid. What if I take the greatest risk of my faith and leave the boat, so to speak, and God does not come to meet me? What if the suffering I encounter responding to God's call is larger than the hope my faith is supposed to offer? What if I step out and discover that my faith is not strong enough? These are real fears. The church, too, faces similar fears. What if our church is not able to respond to the emergent needs of the changing neighborhood or to young people? to millennials, or the change in society around it? What if our newest efforts to revamp worship or reach out to younger people or stretch one last time to bring on a dynamic, radical minister 
do not succeed. What then? What do we do? Help me, Lord. Keep me from sinking. For these fears are real, as real as a storm that Peter steps into. Simply focusing on Jesus may not necessarily do anything to calm the storm. No amount of faith may end the difficult times the church is negotiating. No amount of trust may calm the fears of a nation still scared to death by just how vulnerable life can really be. No amount of prayer is guaranteed to calm the storms that sometimes rage within every life, within every home, and within every congregation. Nevertheless, the words Jesus offers, even before Peter steps out of the boat, could not be more clear. Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Whatever the storm, whatever the uncertainties, whatever the fears, the church that is willing to risk a closer step toward Jesus has nothing to fear. With him, there is courage to engage every change, every uncertainty, every fear. Without him, we do not have much to offer to the world. With him, there is little else we need. Matthew, the gospel writer, characterizes discipleship as a mixture of faith and doubt. Throughout the gospel, the church is a mixed bag of believing and doubting. Note that Peter himself attempts to emulate Jesus and takes a few significant but faltering steps out on the wavy waters. Then he sees the tempest all around him, feels the wind, and begins to sink. Sometimes we sink into the waves because we think that we have to earn God's love. The unmerited, unconditional nature of the gift of mercy is counterintuitive to us and countercultural in a world in which everything we do is based on what we have earned. Meritocracy, one of the tyrannies of modern life, leads us to believe that we can save ourselves through striving, our doing, in our vocations, avocations, education, and relation building. We may be aware of our failures and deceptions about who we are, but nonetheless, we strive to achieve value and status the old-fashioned way by trying to earn it. But eventually, however, we must come to terms with the fact that we cannot do so and don't have to do so and that God loves us still. Like most of the miracle stories in the Gospels, today's story derives much of its meaning from its resonance with Old Testament passages, like the feeding of the 5,000, the walking on the water suggests reflections on the exodus described in the Hebrew scriptures. In the flight of the Israelites from God, God parted the waters or drove them back with a strong east wind. The Israelites crossed on the dry land, but Pharaoh's army perished in the waters. God's seeming control of the sea at the exodus was connected to the Hebrew imagination with God's separation of the land from the sea at the time of creation. Let us not forget what happens in the story. Peter does walk on water, howbeit only a few very tentative steps. And he does it in a storm. Jesus does not chastise him for attempting to walk in faith amidst a storm in sea. Why? Because God and Christ does not lead us away from the struggles and the tensions of life, but right into the very heart of them, armed with the gift of forgiveness and adorned with the Spirit of Christ who empowers us to follow God's trajectory in the world. Finally, Peter does not say to Jesus, to Peter, finally, Jesus does not say to Peter, O oh, you of little faith, why do you think that you could walk on water? 
But rather, O oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt that you could? This is the encouraging God that we want to know. This is the God who loves us into being better persons in this walk. This is the God who gives us faith in ourselves and in others. We live, finally, in community. In community, we find support and love. In community, we sense the mysterious presence of God. In Jesus, we see a person so imbued with the Spirit of God that we, too, hunger for that connection. Staying in the boat, we have an opportunity to know each other, to grow with one another, and to live into the stormy and the calm times of life together. Like Peter, we yearn for a sign from God. Signs are not easy to discern, but we keep on trying to discern where God fits in our lives and what we are called to do and what we are called to be. And so we need a faith that trusts that God embraces us, loves us, and forgives us. And we need God in our lives in a way that allows us to brave the storm and walk with confidence. If we want to stay afloat, we need to focus not on the waves, but on the love of God. May all of this be so. Amen.